Speaking of imaginary numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Hello. Uh, how you going, Lee? Good. Very good. How are you? Not too bad. Your cat is scratching oh, at my backpack. Stop it. God, she's naughty. Sorry. God damn it, Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so how's, how's the holidays been treating you? Yeah, good. I um, just got back from 10 days in Tasmania. Lovely, lovely. Which was awesome. Yeah. Mm. Um, we're recording this one a little bit late, like actually just before it's going to come out because um, I lost my voice for a week, which yes. makes it kind of hard to record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Which is also why, um, if any of our patrons are listening, why the... Uh, this week's uh, Great Scott episode's going to be a little bit late. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought, rest it up and make sure that I can actually talk and... Yeah, not sound like an yeah. old hoe bag. Plus, I also had to have a crown put in. I, I broke a tooth. <laughs> so I had to have all of that done. Which leads me to my amazing, insane story that happened to me while I was at the dentist. Mm, Bear with me. Film-related, kind of. Okay. So my dentist is like a weird old dude who's like, who just talks constantly at you when you're in the dentist chair and he found out that I work in film and so he's like all right let's let me like his his taste in film is just garbage <laughs> he's like he's an old grandpa guy like yeah you got oh. no idea but then he was like oh you know like I'm going to tell you an old man story about film that I think is really interesting mm. and it's my favorite th- story about Star Wars okay and I'm like okay well, I mean, I, well, let's be honest, I was like, oh, like, which is basically like, please don't, I'm not interested, but we'll go on. And he's like, my favorite thing about Star Wars is Lucille Ball. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you mean Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Wonderful. But then he went on to tell this really elaborate and detailed story that I'm lying there, like, you know, in a lot of pain and numb mouth and th- like, you know, not being able to. And I'm like, there's no point in refuting any of this. I'm just going to let it go. Yes. And this is, and tell it on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, the best thing about how, he's like, this, it's, it's Lucille Ball. And that's how Paramount made Star Wars. And I'm like, Fox made, Para- uh, made Star Wars, but go on. Yes. <laughs> wow. And he's like, Lucille Ball uh, owned a huge chunk of the studio that Paramount was on. And I'm like, yeah, Desi Lu Studios, like with her and Desi on It's like, yes, so far, so true. And she's like, he's like, when she sold off her part of the studio across over to, um, Paramount, she said, hey, I've got this script that I've written just lying in on my desk here. Here, you guys have it. And it was Star Wars. <laughs> wow. that, that's how my dentist thinks Star Wars <laughs> happened. He thinks Lucille Ball <laughs> wrote Star Wars <laughs> and then gave it to Paramount, who did not make Star Wars, <laughs> for free in the buyover of the Desi Lu Studios. And I'm like, can I have more Novocaine places? <laughs> Am I high on like yeah. dentist drugs or is this really happening? I just, I've been sitting with that story for like a day now and I'm like, I, I, what? Yes. You legitimately think Lucille Ball of <laughs> I Love Lucy fame wrote Star Wars. <laughs> 
That's wonderful. Yep. <gasps> How unprofessional of me. Yeah. All right, hang on. Give me two seconds. Let me take sure it's off. Okay, good. That is a fantastic story. I'm I'm hoping it's not because you were high on. No, no, I, 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 I wasn't high. It was just very numb and yeah. Wow. <laughs> How did you just like? Did you snigger or did you do anything? Were you just no, like, oh. it was almost just like wide-eyed insanity of yeah. just like, okay, like because it's the thing is like some of it's true. Like Desi Lu Studios was bought out by like so aspects of the story are kind of true, but the key aspect that he was basing the entire story around with I've got a great story about Star Wars (laughs) is like, no. That's the best story story of Star Wars I've ever been told. (laughs) It turns out like after all this time, George Lucas is just a giant thief. (laughs) But uh, yeah, but if you couldn't tell uh, why I thought it would be an opportune time to discuss Lucille Ball's involvement in, in this in a giant space opera um, is because we watched Volker Schlondorf's 1966 film Young Torless and I am filling for time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, this is a Criterion, Criterion film, eh? Yeah, which is, yeah, a bit of a bummer. This is my third Volker Schlondorf film, I think. Um, I think, like, in the last episode, I said that I enjoyed one of them and I loved another one of them uh, I love the tin drum um, people can go back and listen to that episode um, yes you were telling me an interesting story from that movie yeah well it was just like how it opens there's a scene at the beginning of this film where it's people walking across a field and cooking potatoes on an open fire I'm like that's literally how the tin drum opens but in this film we don't have an escaped convict hiding under a woman's dress like she's a giant chicken and then having sex with her <laughs> mm, that is bizarre and you yeah. love that film yeah it's really weird and funny and bizarre okay. it's about a little boy who decides to stop growing and aging because he sees the hypocrisies in the world. Oh, and, yeah, and he uh, w- w- wanders around with his little tin drum and he can uh, make things explode with his voice. It's really weird. It's a weird fucking movie that I really love. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, I think it tied winning the Palm Door with Apocalypse Now in 1980. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it won the Academy Award. But yeah, so Volker Schlondorf, really great filmmaker. So it's kind of interesting to go back and watch this, his first ever film. So he's German? Yes. He is German. And I, I want to just apologize to everyone listening that I'm going to butcher these names horrendously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll start with the plot, the Criterion Plot Synopsis. Mm-hmm. So at an Austrian boys boarding school in the early 1900s, shy, intelligent Torless observes the sadistic behavior of his fellow students, doing nothing to help a victimized classmate until the torture goes too far. Adapted from Robert Musel's acclaimed novel, Young Tallis launched the New German Cinema Movement and garnered the 1966 Cannes Film Festival International Critics Prize for first-time director Volker Schlondorf. So first ever film. Yes. Adapted from a fairly well-known and fairly uh, kind of well-regarded autobiographical novel, Mm. um, which I got the sense of... We're about 40 minutes into this film, I would say, and it's, it's at the point, I'm like, just going to jump straight into a part a little bit in, when they're sitting around at um, the prostitute's house, um, and it's just like, what are we doing? Mm. What, what, what are we going? What are we saying? This is just... What's the point of this scene? So far in this film, all we've had is glimpses of moments, mm. and I'm like, oh, I was like, I want to check if this was based on... Yep, based on a novel. 
Yeah, very much. I got that sense of it's like it's it's picking snippets from the book, not telling it. Either that, or it's got the. It, it reminded me of the pacing of like a like early 1900s novel where it's just like this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then we'll tie it all together into a nice little package oh yes yeah okay like i mean i was getting strong catcher in the rye vibes where i mean probably because of the prostitute and the schoolboy kind of boarding school stuff but yeah it's i was getting um lord of the flies (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 but was that because you knew uh, ahead of time that it was going to be about torture and all of well, that Well, kind of I read just, that's all I read. That's yeah. a little synopsis. I'm finding that that's um, helping me. <laughs> yeah, understandably. <laughs> when watching films. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it would be like, yeah, gang sort of, uh, yeah, torturing. I'm, I'm thinking of um, Bassini as like Piggy and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But we yeah. were talking about that during the watching. We are saying, but Bassini's not Piggy. What did you say about Piggy? Uh, he at least has integrity. Yes, whereas yeah. Bassini is the thief. Yeah, like the, the point of Piggy is like it's him and Ralph versus the other yeah. kids, beca- and they're like, no, we need, we live in a society, we have rules and structure, like let's yes. do this, and they're like, no, and then because he's pointing all of that out, that's what leads to the revolt and the killing of Piggy. Whereas in this, he's just like, oh, what else am I going to do? Yeah. Um, which leads to, I guess, the giant thing of the film which i guess we'll get to eventually but yeah yeah it's this is an odd one um i did not like this <laughs> you know what i did oh okay yeah. okay i don't know like i think i've struggled so much with films lately that are just like what the fuck is going on yeah what the fuck is going on and then this one i'm like oh i can see what's going on i can see the point and yeah i'm I'm getting it (laughs) yes okay so it wasn't that tough like yeah it wasn't it wasn't a struggle for me okay that's interesting yeah do you feel feel like it was a struggle for you no it wasn't necessarily a struggle to like what it's doing and saying like at at least how i was interpreting it but Mm. it was i just found it boring Yes. yes It, it, I just didn't engage with it. Um, I don't know if that was just time and place that I've watched it or whatever it be, but I was just like, eh, yeah. meh. Like, I, yeah. get, I get what you're doing. I just wish there was a little bit more style or something behind us yeah. getting us there, I guess. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was um, trying to really think deeply in each scene and go, okay, what's the point? What are you trying to tell me what's going on? And we have Tallis sort of start the film off with him saying goodbye to his mum who looks like... Oh, it is fully Rose's mum from Titanic. <laughs> that That is... I guarantee that is Francis Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you know the name. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, one time uh, wife of Clint Eastwood. <laughs> ah. Hmm. But yes, uh, the second she was like hopping in the train, like at the beginning, I'm just like, will the lifeboats be seated according to class? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the other one that we have, um, the mathematics teacher is um, Mr. Bean's fat brother. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. 100%. You know what side-by-side photos you need to do on Instagram? It's the Mr. Bean passport photo that... <laughs> yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Torless is saying goodbye to his mum and we know that he's pure and innocent, uh, has a pure heart at this moment. Um, but, you know, he's a strong guy. He doesn't get pushed around. And not just that, but he's intelligent and inquisitive. Like he's like using the fact that he's offered this boarding school, this academy to make sense of life, mm. I guess. And 
you know, uh, by, I guess, I'm assuming, like, my interpretation was, like, latching on to um, those other, the other two guys, was like, oh, these guys seem more world-weird, like, you know, aware of the world and what's going on, so I'll hitch my horse to their wagon, at least for the beginning, to see what happens, and then that's probably not the best idea. Yeah, he almost felt to me like he was an old, like, the way he looked at situations was not, someone of his age yes yeah. so he was sort of like you're saying observing and learning and um thinking deeply about things he's not just a little kid reacting to situations of, oh this is fun you know yeah so he has quite a more mature mind than everybody else yeah he's he's able to dissect the the matters that are being presented to him in a in an empathetic, empathetic, he can empathize with what's going on. Um, yes. He's trying to rationalize it in an empathic way, as opposed to essentially Bazzini, who is just like be presented with blunt logic, and then I guess the immature, childish, childish nature of the other two, like mm. the way that they're behaving and things. It is, yeah, he, he's a he's a kid who is older than he seems, at yeah. least. And it would be interesting to know how old the author was when he wrote That's the autobiography. Yeah, I was just about to bring up that, whether or not that was actually how he behaved in the instance or if it's a reminiscent looking back on it with feels, the perspective of an adult. Like it, it definitely feels that way. Yeah. Like, I'm sure if this is autobiographical, which it is, I don't think he would have been as rational. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the a good word for, like, possibly more passive... The the idea that he's gonna just like doesn't want to be complicit in the torture and you know demeaning of Barzini, but will like passively sit back and watch it all happen and kind of take it all in, mm. I guess. Especially given that like you know they they constantly keep saying that you're gonna be a poet, you're gonna be a writer. Like yeah. that's you know you sit and you observe and you write. And he calls um, one of the other boys. Uh, I'm so sorry, Rayetti, Rayetti. Um, the one with the foul breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, rating. Rating. Rating in Beinberg. Right, right, rating. Writing? Writing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, as being stupid, like, oh, you can read what I've been writing, but you won't understand it. Yeah, and that's immediately what happens. He's just like, what is this shit? Yeah. And you're just yeah. like, yeah. Um, but then, so we've met Taurus. He starts school. He befriends um, Beinberg. Yep. And they go uh, out for lunch, and uh, we also meet Bassini and writing, mm-hmm. and uh, they're having it. They're at the same cafe, and we work out that uh, Bassini has stolen money from Beinenberg to pay off his debt to writing, and now that's it. Like, yeah, and it's going to be this like, yeah, and and Beinenberg is totally aware of this, and it's like I'm gonna let this fly for now because I can use this situation to my advantage. Mm. Enter human misery. Yes. Human misery, absolutely. Um, but it's interesting because uh, writing seems very like a shallow character. He doesn't have a lot. He's, he's muscle. He doesn't have a lot going yeah. on. There's not much interest with him. But Beinenberg I found really interesting. He talks about um, different things in history and he talks about war. He wants to travel the world. He wants to go to Asia. When he talks about Bassini being a thief, he talks about, well, if you were in India, we'd chop off your hands and yeah. all this sort of thing. So... He he's a lot he's a lot deeper and more interesting character, um, and you can you can see where these characters are going. You said to me that this is set in the thirties. 
Yeah, well, like early nineteen hundred, like po- it's post World War One. It's post World like, yeah. War One, pre World War Two, and you yeah. can just see. <laughs> in a way where these characters are going to end up. Yeah, which was, like, I found super interesting, um, this being a film made in 1966. It's very... uh, You can't help but have a idea that Schlondorf is laying in thick the... The behaviour and the actions of these characters will then later go... Like, in particular, the scenes up in the attic where they're just manipulating and torturing Bassini for their own sick pleasure. You get a sense of, oh, this is what happened with, you know, SS people in World War Two. Like, yes. You know, it, this is, you know... It's some attra- to some uh, Yeah, and I think that, like, especially having, you know, some of the Nazi elements that are laid in, in the Tin Drum and things, it's very clearly yeah. Schlondorf, you know... Because I asked so you... ...as an issue with Nazis. Cause, yes, because I asked you, like, I don't know anything about this director and... um based that it's in 1966. I'm like, it'll be interesting to see if he's a sympathizer. No. And you're like, no, 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 he Mm -mm. isn't. And so then I was watching and looking and I could see that the bad characters or the evil characters in um, um, Torless's words are very much becoming more Nazi, like they're like the really like tight... What's like their school oh, their, their uniforms, tunics or whatever, yeah. And the way and they the click their heels together and you know stomp their feet and shout and and having the sticks in there, like all of that, mm. yeah. It's um, but it's interesting, like the 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 cold, calculated manner in which they're go- enacting and going through all the torture stuff is so you can't help but have that reminiscence of you know Nazi officers in World War Two. But what I found interesting, like you kept referring, like you know, using Tallis's words there of like the evil characters. It, it also, keeping on the World War II kind of Nazi clip with all of this, it's, is it also an indictment then on Torless himself? And it, essentially, is he a facsimile for, I guess, the people that were complicit and let stuff like this happen? Yes, yeah. absolutely. The, the fact, like, you know, there's the whole scene where they're up in the attic and they're just mercilessly beating Bassini and Torless just walks away. Mm. And Bassini's like, don't walk away, help. Like, yeah. you can stop this. And he's just like, nah. Nah. It, it's... That's where this film gets interesting, like yeah. having those little elements in there, whether or not they're, like, it, whether that's like a post-textual thing that we add onto it being the fact that, like, I want to, like, actually quickly look up when this book was published mm. and whether or not, like, you know, obviously it's, it's retelling accounts of, you know, early 1900s, like pre-war. Oh, wow. First published in 1906. Oh, okay. So, okay. So when, yeah, we are set in 1906. Yeah. Um, So, but, but Schlondorf may have, may, may, I don't know. Interpreted as a post-textual. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking. He might've added on a bit of his own um, side. Or or it's taking this classic piece of literature and based on the events of human history, being able to imply a totally new reading onto it. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I would say that's what he's done because the Nazi stuff was pretty, like, obvious. Yeah, it's very easy to read that into this film. So, Mm. yeah, and that was kind of a nice way to apply additional meaning onto it. Otherwise, it's just, I mean, you've got... A torture film. Yeah, um, not necessarily. You've got It's that whole inner debate of Torlos between emotion and logic, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, do you want to tell us about the – so there's a scene where he is with Beidenberg and he – Beidenberg tells him about imaginary numbers. Yeah. 
and um, Tallis then goes to the maths teacher and asks him, can you please explain imaginary numbers? Mm-hmm. Um, and the teacher then says to him, oh, your maths level of knowledge isn't good enough to understand. You need to go out and find this out yourself or something along those lines. Yeah, so it's basically when presented with a flight of fancy, Tallis views it as a purely... He's like, well, let's try and bring logic into this. Mm-hmm. And like, let I, this is something that I want to, I'm intrigued by and I want to try and understand. So he goes to the math teacher who then is basically sums up to him. Like there are certain things in life that we want to understand that we just can't. And the best way that we can possibly understand them is through emotions. Mm. And that's what kind of sets Tallis off on his path of, well, I will keep observing the behavior that, uh, writing and Beinerberg are doing, and just try and unpack that in an emotional, not into logical. like into logical yeah. Yeah, yeah. method. And then, you know, the breaking point for him is when he confronts Bassini about like, why are you allowing this to happen? And he is total lack of emotion and he's just approaching a pure logic. logic. Yeah. And that kind of shows Tallis like, Oh fuck! G- going through life purely emotionless is what leads to broken people and broken society, and makes you not understand. Mm. So I don't want that. Peace out, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> that that's yeah. I loved it. I thought this movie was really interesting for that simple fact, mm. and how tallest at the end. Um, and this is a major misquote, but is basically like. Um, I used to think people were born good or evil. Yeah. Um, and that's how they were. And I remember when uh, Bassini steals the money at the beginning of the film, he's so outraged. How can we have this person in our presence? He's mm. evil. He's done an evil thing or he's, you know, he's bad. Um, obviously, as the film goes on and uh, Tallis learns a bit more deeply about human nature and all that sort of thing, he discovers that we're not born good and evil. We are, we are, we can be both. It's, it's an just, ebb and flow. It's of... an ebb and flow and it's choice and it's, yeah, it's deep. Deep film. It, yeah, it, it's, got, it's got a lot going for it in terms of what it's trying to dissect and understand. I Just for me, though, it just didn't quite push it over the line. I don't yeah. know if it was just the... I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to necessarily blame the performances, but I think it, it, Tallest to me was such a blank slate of a character mm. that I wasn't able to emotionally connect to his journey and his like venture trying to understand these themes. Me myself as the audience, I'm like, I, I get what's going on, yes. but I just wish he would my protagonist would not be as so robotic yeah, about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. it's almost like, oh, he's learning to love. He's learning to feel by the end. He's learning to, but he started off more emotional at the beginning yes. of the film. And I guess is that just his journey is becoming broken by seeing human nature Mm. it's interesting isn't it he's definitely more emotional at the beginning and he's very unemotional like the point of at the end of the film he gets dragged into the office of all the teachers in question and there's no emotion in his face at all no he's broken by what he's witnessed and they're just like and then i love that like he's so emotionless that their response is like well this boy is too emotional yeah (laughs) And, and they're the emotional ones. He's one of them slams the book shut and yeah. gets frustrated by the whole thing. How dare someone have critical thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's there's a lot of interesting shit happening yeah. here. So. What does he say about um 
Oh, his his mind's too highly strung. Highly strung. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want to have a philosophical debate. Where's and then Taller uh, says something like, "Well, maybe if I was taught better." Or taught how to... You um, go, girl. You go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. Mm. I love that last scene. Um, But, yeah, it's it's, that's what I find interesting, like the fact that he... They're like, oh, he doesn't want to have a philosophical debate. And it's like, no, clearly that's all he wants to do, but the subject matter is not something that you want to discuss. Yes. Because it is, you know, gets to the heart of human nature on the idea of... You know, people being complicit to evil behavior and people being susceptible to that and to what length someone will go to just go go about their business. Like, it's yeah. really... Like, I would have... This film, for me, like, reading, knowing about that it was going to be something about, like, bullying and torture in a boarding school, I expected it to be firmly planted onto the shoes of the victim. Mm. And say, for instance, if this film followed Barsini and his emotional journey through the torture that's inflicted upon him and how that he then relates and reacts from that. But instead it's, it's, it's pretty fucking interesting to yeah. see it like a, almost having like observer. a documentarian yeah. <laughs> yeah. to sit through weird. and watch this. And to the point where, um, uh, Brandenburg and writing, uh, he like loses interest with them. I thought he was like for safety going along with the pack for his mm. own safety, but they like mess with him at the end and like, you know, try to, you know, be tough with him. And he's just like, meh, you don't well, scare me. What's this me. all for? Like, I yeah. see I see how base you guys are. Yeah. Like, I know your tricks and, like, that shit ain't going to fly with yeah. me. Like, what, you're going to – I'm not – which is kind of brutal because he's like, I'm not a fucking meat puppet like Bassini. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. just going to take it's, this shit. It's definitely not a um, I feel sorry. There is definitely elements of I feel sorry for Bassini, but – that instance, he's not scared for his safety. He's not worried about Bassini. You're just lesser. I'm yeah. not interested in you. You don't it, scare me. He's just trying to unpack it all emotionally and like mentally, where he's just like, it's, and which is like why he runs away during the whole torture thing at the gym. He's just like, I see, it's essentially. I've seen in, what I need to see. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, to put it in the context of a, you know, boys boarding school, like, you know, 15, 16 year old kids. This is the utter worst of humanity. Yeah. Like, you know, th- I see the atrocities that man can do and, and therefore peace out. Yeah, peace out. He doesn't run away scared. He, I think he even slips his cape almost. over his shoulder yeah. and he just like casually walks off. He's like, nah. He's like, how can you all be complicit and okay with this? This is absolutely disgusting behavior. How do you not see that this is disgusting? Yes, Bassini did something bad by stealing, but this isn't the way to go about no. it. Like, But that's what I mean about it seems like Taurus is an older guy like it's it's almost unbelievable the way he reacts to those situations and he doesn't have an emotional foot in the door like he's not invested in these guys or care he doesn't have an emotional response but again maybe that's him moving from emotion to logic or whatever he does he becomes less emotional as the movie goes on yeah but it was it was a bit jarring because i'm like there's no way a 15 16 year old whatever year old would react that any age would react that way yeah it's just crazy that's what i mean like it feels like it's a story being remembered by a much older man. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. What, what say, like, if this film, if you were to remake this film and you have, like, a full-on adult man acting that role as, yeah. as, as if he's remembering it yeah. and, like, just interacting with the kids? Ugh. That'd be kind of weird and fun. We haven't talked about um, 
something that I noticed was obviously the time. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of violence, but it's off camera and implied rape scenes, yep. male rape scenes. Um, a lot of implied stuff. Not They don't seem to worry about torturing animals and insects in this film. But, oh, my uh, God. Yeah, that was upsetting. That's just fucked. Yeah. Like, anyway, but we won't get into that. But uh, there was times where I was watching this. I'm like, did that happen? Did that just happen? Yeah, what, what, uh, what realism are we actually in? That's happened. Yeah. But maybe... Oh, no. Are, are you wondering time and place of, like, is this subject matter that's taboo and you can't yeah. get away with showing? See, um, I thought the scene with the prostitute in her bedroom with him, like, fondling her boob was pretty full-on for this time. Yes and no. 1966, like, we're, what, a year or two out from The Graduate and then, like, what, two, three years out from Midnight Cowboy, ah. less than five years out from uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh-huh. Like, you know, we're, it's... You're getting there. I, I think it's, like, I think it is because implied violence is more is worse than actual violence. That's true. That's very true. And, I think that. Like, and also, like, the scenes where they're beating Bassini up in the attic room, like, the the focus isn't about the actual violence that's happening. It's the focus is how Tallis is interpreting this violence and how it's affecting him. That's why it's all off camera and we just have the foley, the, like, the... Yeah. And then, you know, the grunts and the, you know... See, for me, there was the scene where... Writing grabs Bassini, drags him into Gagged. the room. Yeah. And um, the camera pans up. We assume that he's raped him. And then it pans back down. And then they're looking at nude pictures of women together, very comfortable. Yeah. It's bizarre. What happened in that scene? What the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. And then it is like overtly said that they are actually having some homosexual stuff happening. So um, Beinenberg questions writing about it. What what does he say again? Writing says, no, I'm not gay. He is or something. Or what, It's, it's essentially, it's that? something along those lines. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I can't remember, but yeah, I was a bit brain fucked in that moment. Like, I didn't know what just happened, but okay, I guess I'm going to assume it was that. And I guess yeah. it's the time. They don't show that shit mm. back then. Yeah, but then it gets even more sadistic when you find out that Bidenberg is then also doing some homosexual stuff with, uh, like, you know, forcefully to Bassini, but then also forcing him to, like, read scripture and shit after. Mm. It's just like, oh, the hypocrisy. And it's that's what's interesting, again, like, laying in all this hypocrisy and, you mm. know... And, you know, the tales of, like, well, there were these kids that got kicked out of the school and expelled because of, you know, homosexuality. So, you know, let's lead that on in terms of, like, have that as a threat over Bassini. Yeah. The fact that we could, like, you know, because he's such a complicit person that will just go with the flow empirically. Like, yeah, it, it's... Um, the, man, there's, yeah. there's the scene when I think they, Bassini and writing, return from a short holiday... And they're fed up with the torture that's been going on because Bassini is becoming complicit. Um, so It's no just, longer fun anymore. It's no longer fun anymore. They're not getting the thrill of watching him suffer because he's just going to go along with it. And so it's not fun anymore. So then he hypnotize. They decide to get into his brain or into his soul. I can't remember the words that they use. And they hypnotize him and stab him. And just you can just... In this scene, you can just see that Beidenberg and writing are just like, what is going on in their Pure heads? evil. Pure like, yeah. evil. They are fucked. Mm. It's crazy. It's so dark. This film's a dark film. Yeah. And it, it's that's what's kind of... I, I don't mean to say the good stuff about it, like coming off of dark, like all of that darkness, but, but it's 
it's the examining of, you know, the the deep seated like is it? It's essentially Taurus un- coming to terms with the fact of is there there's both good and evil in the world, but they coexist simultaneously. It's just how you interpret that or allow that to affect your life, whether it be fully logical or emotional, depends on which way you sway, I guess. Yeah. The choices you make. Yeah, pretty much. Not very good ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, like, I, I think as well the thing that made me not dig this one as much is there were moments of beautiful, wonderful cinematography and then also some scenes that were just fucking flat and dull and boring. Yeah. And it just kind of, I think that mismeasure of, you know, going from operatic, like moving the cat, like the scene where Bassini gets tortured in the gym is amazingly shot and and constructed. But the scene when they're like, um, Torless and Weinerberg are sitting at the bar. Like the fuck are we doing? It's just bang, 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 bang. Like mid shot, mid shot, mid shot. I'm like, ah. Shot reverse, shot reverse. Yeah. And it just kind of, I know there's flair capable here. Is it just like, and it just kind of lulls you into the mundane, I guess. But, yeah. that, but then when something huge happens like that, it stands out possibly. Yeah. Does Schlondorf's other films, are they shot interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So. There's like, yeah, I like first thing that pops into my head is there's like shots of from the tin drum, like in a womb. <laughs> like even. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, I don't know. I guess that's it for me about this film. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a, a much to get this. Like, that's, I think, the thing. It's, it's a short film. It's an hour, 20 minutes. Yeah. It, I think we've hit the nail on the head in terms of, like, you know, a post-textual Things. interpretation of it versus what it's actually doing and saying. Like, other, and there's not many scenes to, like, really break down down much i'm um, i'm with you i wouldn't say i'd never watch this again mm-hmm. however i enjoyed the yeah. the subject matter yeah i thought it was interesting yeah but uh no it's not it's definitely not a rewatch one it's interesting i think it challenged me in a good way yeah yeah it, it's an interesting film yeah that that is for the sure subject matter yeah. just not necessarily for me an engaging or entertaining yeah. one like and I, it's fine for it not to be entertaining especially with the subject matter but just didn't didn't grab me this week yeah no that's fair enough um i'm very very intrigued though to see what claire thinks this one's going to be about yes we haven't recorded it yet but i am very interested as well <laughs> well, uh, well we'll cut away to that now and let's see how I'd be fucking amazed if she's like this. I think this is about a boarding school and <laughs> rape. <laughs> I like. I kind of like. It's so wonderful when she goes light and bubbly, but I kind of want to remind her like she can go dark just yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Let's hear what she thinks now. Welcome again to another edition of Claire's... What's this movie about? Here we go. Alrighty. So our film this week is entitled Young Torless. Young Torres? Torless. And there is an umlaut. I'm, I'm pronouncing it weird because there's an umlaut above the O. Okay. So Young Torless. Okay. It is from 1966. It is a black and white German film. Ooh. I was going to go with, like, Spanish. But... Young Torless. That's why I'm kind of putting that Eastern European but, kind but of... But young, like, Y-O-U-N? Yep, young as in 
young, like a young okay. boy. Yeah. So it's got an in- how one English word and one German word or yep. a name. Or it could be a name of a character. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's German, black and white. 1966. Which part of Germany? Uh, I don't know. All I can tell you is that it's the f- directorial debut of Volker Schlondorf. But I'm assuming it's like West German, it's not East German. Because I, I feel so, like that yes. was a different type of cinema. I, uh, you know what? I will throw something else out to you. It is adapted from Robert Musil's acclaimed novel set in the early 1900s. First published in 1906, I believe. Oh, that's good, because I was going to go with some post-war experience. Um, <laughs> so, so did Lee and I until we uh, looked up when the novel was published. So in the early 1900s. Okay. So young... Hmm. We are taking a plane break. Taking a plane break. We don't normally take that many plane planes. Break. Plane break. That, that used to be a segment on a comedy bang bang for years until they moved into the better studios and they would have like a jet music play play during the taking a plane break. Yeah. Anyway. So let me think. So I'm going in Germany. They're they're there, they're in Germany. Nineteen hundreds. Kind of feeling a bit like the German version of like a Charles Dickens story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. With that. So what have we got? Young Toril. Tor. He's. It's like Little Dorrit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Similar sort of. I, and now I can't remember the plot to that. So let's go with some other kind of plot. So main characters. You didn't give me that, did you? Uh, I will give you. Uh, there are like f- just like context of. Numbers. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you four, four main, uh, three real mains, and a fourth kind of that's very titular. Yeah. Um. And yes, H- how's that for you? Okay. Well, four, be- four boys. Being Dickens-esque, but in Germany, there are f- four boys, three of which share a room in an orphanage. Oh, okay. Always in the orphanage, because yep. like, yeah. People die real young. Fact. (laughs) (laughs) These are clear facts. People die young. So people die young. They're in the orphanage and everyone else around them is like gone and like gotten jobs as like chimney sweeps and stuff. But (laughs) (laughs) so it's real Dickensian. Yeah. Yeah. But um but they have not because they're not even good at that. But what they have done is they've got some books and they are teaching themselves how to read and write and, like, doing schooly kind of stuff. And what might happen next? (laughs) I don't know. So they're growing up together and then this is what happens. So there's the three that share a room and the one, one of them that shares the room... Um, he dies of like, I don't know. Consumption. Yeah, I was going to say consumption. <laughs> you know, like that, one of those of, things where you cough on a, on a handkerchief and there's blood. And then all of a sudden you're dead. And then you're dead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe a sweating sickness. I don't know. There's all those sorts of things. So the, You know what he needs? A good bloodletting. Yeah, bloodletting. <laughs> so he carks it, so he's out. So he's gone. And then they're really sad. And then they grow up and move out of the orphanage but they actually find out that young Torrell or something Torless Torless 
<laughs> the one he actually they find out later through investigations that he didn't die of consumption needing bloodletting i don't know what he was actually murdered Bo, and they go wow. and they solve the murder Nice. Okay. So you've got like the full Dickens yeah, childhood while, story with, with a murder mystery slant. All right. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to know what it's actually about? Sure. At an Austrian boys' boarding school in oh, the I'm early so 1900s, yeah. shy, intelligent Torless observes the sadistic behavior of his fellow students doing nothing to help a victimized classmate until the torture goes too far. And he gets murdered. So, uh, wrapping up this episode, uh, there is one other major important thing that we need to get through uh, before we put the nail in the coffin of Young Tallis, and that is a tagline. Yes. I, I'm happy to go first. Mine's not very good, but I'll go, I'll go for it, okay? In an Austrian boarding school, Tallis explores the true meaning of good and evil. Hmm. That is a very 1960s tagline. <laughs> Do you like how I said inner? It's yep. like inner world. <laughs> yeah. Inner world. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, mine is you can't always count on imaginary numbers. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, you've got my vote. <laughs> I actually sat here and thought about mine as well because last week, what was mine? Lachlis Mashlish. Mashish, yeah. (laughs) Because I didn't think about it beforehand. I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) I gave this one thought, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, So head over, uh, as always, like we do our little mock-up. I'm getting okay at Photoshop, I think. (laughs) Uh, And videos. Yeah, but Lee's posting all of that stuff over on the Instagram, which I'll link to in the show notes. So, But uh, head over to there uh, to have a look at those and give us a vote on who, which which one turned out better. (laughs) But otherwise, uh, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia? I would love to. All righty. So as we mentioned, as it's mentioned in the... um, Synopsis, this is one of the first films in the new German cinema period. Uh, also the first film with Volker Schlondorf. Uh, Lucino Visconti had previously tried to set up a version of Young Tallis with Romy Schneider starring. Uh, Lee's looking at me like, cool. gibberish? What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I love The Leopard, the Visconti film, so yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, the film won the Fapresky Prize at the 1966 Cannes Film Festival, where it was also nominated for the Palme d'Or. Yeah. And what other um, awards uh, ceremonies was it entered into, Chris? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, this was also the uh, <laughs> Germany's uh, selection for the Academy Awards in 1966, and it was not accepted. <laughs> it did not get a nomination. Can I ask a quick question then? Mm-hmm. When you say Germany's selection for... Yes. Say, what, so basically every- uh, with the foreign, uh, in- oh, now international film uh, competition uh, award... Basically, every country submits a film for consideration. And based on that, they then whittle it down. And yeah. So they'll might pick five out of the. Yeah, five out of like. Uh, there have even been some years where Australia has put forth a film because it's been in an, an, in an indigenous or, pop, uh, you know, Papua New Guinean language. Like, yeah. So it means foreign language. Yeah, well, just foreign. Yeah, they've called it international film because. Yeah. But Australian yeah. films would be therefore international, but they can be nominated for best anything. Yeah, it, it's that like uh, it's 
do we get into this whole politicsy thing of it? Um, I, it, it ch- they changed it to international film a couple of years ago when um, Alfonso Cuaron won for Roma, and it was best foreign language film. Yes. And in his acceptance speech, he said, like, ah, thank you, this means a lot. I grew up loving foreign language films, films like Jaws, films like The Godfather, <laughs> because for him, that is foreign language yeah. film. So they've, you know, we're like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. We should probably change that. So they've shifted it to international film. And, and, so. and so each country submits a film, or yeah. if they have I mean, they, yeah, they don't, yeah, have, they, they to. don't have to, yeah. Um, but if it's an English-speaking, so it's a film from England, because it's an American award, right? Yeah. But it's a, if it's a film from England, it's not part of that. Uh, usually not, no. They, they kind of do it, this, like, I mean... It's still foreign language, but they've changed it to international. Yeah, like, but there's there's two British changed. films up for Best Picture this year. Yeah, so, like, has, um, yeah. yeah, Promising Young Woman and The Father are both British films, so they're, yeah. like, yeah. No, you guys get, like, yeah. You just get included. It would be fucking weird if Promising Young Woman was up for Best International Film. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's where, like, I guess they've changed the, the term, but it still but means still foreign that, language yeah. to Americans. Gotcha. Basically, like, yeah, yeah. being a... Yeah. yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Pretty much. It, it's okay. a less racist way of being like, you don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Good on the Oscars for at least attempting to be less racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. So the film is still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD. It's also available to watch on the Criterion channel. And it comes with the special features, a German movie, a new video interview with writer-director Volker Schlondorf, in which he reflects upon the making of Young Tallis and its subsequent impact. Representation of the original score by acclaimed composer Hans Werner Heinz with a video introduction by Schlondorf, Stills Gallery of behind-the-scenes production images and promotional art, original theatrical trailer, and the usual booklet and essays that Criterion always do. We didn't talk about the score. We made mention while we were watching it. The score was like a horror movie score. Yeah, it was very different, and it's, yeah, odd Rightly for this so. type of film. Well, yeah. Hmm. It was pretty horrifying at times. Yeah, but um, I think it's fine. Mm. Like, yeah. I guess uh, unless you got anything else, we'll probably wrap us up on Young Tallis. Yep. No, that's it for me. Um, well, do you want to hear what the next film is? Yeah, go on. Uh, we have Kihachi Okamoto's The Sword of Doom. The Sword of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> this is a samurai film that I have never seen. Ooh. Purpose, like I've been dying to watch it for a very long time. That it's, I love the cover art and everything on Criterion, so I'm very excited. Oh, me too. Yes, yes. It's one I've almost blind bought a couple of times with Criterion sales, but have yet to pull the trigger. So I'm looking forward to it. That's so fun. Uh, but otherwise, uh, if you've got any comments or you know thoughts on Young Tallis or just anything in general, really, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Twitter at criterionquest. Or there's Lee's wonderful Instagram account. That mm-hmm. at, uh, just look for the Criterion Quest. I'll put all of this shit in the, like, in the show notes. Yeah. We love hearing from you guys. Though. Yeah. And uh, we're getting ready to record our next uh, audio com- monthly audio commentary over on Patreon. And uh, by the time this comes out, we'll be up to Alien. Alien episode will have come out on a... Uh, for Great Scott. For Great Scott. How exciting. Yeah, we've, we've finally done the first couple of each, and so we're now chronologically, so we've got, uh, yeah, Alien, then Blade Runner. So, oh, shit's yes. getting real. It is, it is. I'm very excited because then the next after Blade Runner is fucking Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't like Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's an it's a exploration of how to make Tom Cruise look tall. <laughs> Oh, that's actually good. I'm going to keep count of how many scenes involved Apple boxes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, yeah, as we said, uh, like, subscribe, all that bullshit, uh, the Patreon, yada, yada, yada. But uh, most importantly, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with The Sword of Doom. <laughs> for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. <laughs>